This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hey there, you're listening to Making Spaces, the podcast about community, culture, and making new connections, hosted by my good Judy, my friend and yours, Sarah Heath. On this podcast, we're having conversations about design, literally making spaces, and how some of the most inclusive spaces aren't always the most inviting. And we're talking about what it means to make space for one another. With the world the way it is right now, we need to find ways to have conversations across lines of radical difference. So join Sarah each week as she tackles the intersection of design and practical spirituality with conversations with some of the most fabulous guests you're ever going to meet. Some will talk about actual design, some of us will talk about relational design, but no matter what, it's an incredible time. So grab yourself a cup of whatever you like, and welcome to Making Spaces with Sarah Heath. It's not always typical for a space, and when I say space, like a a community or a place or something in the public realm, to be designed and, and considered by the people who live there. And especially, sometimes we use the term vulnerable populations, Um, engaging the voices of those vulnerable populations and actually having them either create the decision-making process or be a part of the decision-making process is really important. Because if we don't do that, then the most vulnerable in our society um, aren't actually a part of the solution and then it's not made for them and we keep pushing people to I'll use the term the margins we keep pushing people to the margins and really they are at the center of their communities and they're at the center of these vibrant places but when those on the outside come in to change something or see a problem or see an opportunity (laughs) for economic gain, it's really difficult, or not even economic gain, for personal feelings of satisfaction and like they did something good um, that uses people and it uses their place so that we can feel like we've made a difference or done something good. And I think that the base level, that's something that we all have to deal with um, and we all have to confront in ourselves, like, am I doing this for me or am I doing this to allow space for the voices of people who actually own this place to speak. Today I'm excited to introduce to you my friend Jenna Tourget. Jenna is an urban planner, facilitator, and community builder. She walks with communities on the path to making healthy, whole, and equitable places. Her goal is to make spaces where everyone belongs, and everyone helps shape the future of their own neighborhoods. She facilitates conversation on systematic change, community development, immigration reform, equity, coalition building, and neighborhoods and government agencies throughout California. She is currently a planning commissioner in the city of Costa Mesa, where I reside. And this conversation couldn't be more timely, as the Black Lives Matter movement reminds us the importance of recognizing privilege and taking a backseat when needed in creating space. I hope you enjoy this conversation and stick around for the weekly takeaway challenge and inspirational quote. 
All right, Jenna, I am so glad to have you on here. My question that I like to start with is, what is one of your favorite spaces and why? And it can be any space from like somewhere in your home to like Disneyland to like somewhere internally that you feel like is a space. Where is one of your favorite places to be? Well, I am an urban planner. And so a lot of times when I think of spaces, I think of physical spaces that are created um, in terms of um, creating space for community to be in a public area or in terms of nature. And so I would say my favorite space is a street in Sevilla in Spain. Um, oh. Yeah. And there's these, these it's this um, medieval street and there's all these different vendors and fruit stands and then across like above between the two built the, between the two sides of the streets there's actually canopies uh keeping people safe from what is a warm or hot uh, afternoon sun so it's oh. a really active and vibrant space and then there's this beautiful canopy cover over the street Ooh, that sounds beautiful i'm also reading harry potter right now so i have a, a very like european uh view of this and I can imagine people like bustling down the streets um, and the the idea of like the canopy over. It sounds beautiful. Yes, I really love it. Are you going to get to go anytime soon? I don't know. You know, with the whole travel restrictions that are coming up, um, that are happening and are assumed to be happening in the near future, I don't know if I'll be able to be there, but I have the memory of that. And it shapes how I view other spaces as well. I love that. So you are an urban planner and you have worked... Tell me about some of the different settings you've worked in and kind of what an urban planner is. Yeah, so I have a little bit of a different career path than a lot of urban planners have taken. I actually started my career working in a neighborhood in my town, Costa Mesa, and working with the local community here doing something called community development. So building community that was less about the physical space. Um, but that actually led me to understanding how our physical environment and our social environment and actually the natural environment impact um, what our communities look like and how people's lives are shaped. So I ended up pursuing my master's in urban and regional planning. And it was actually, I graduated during and went in during the recession, um, the first Great Recession, and moved to Boston to work in a community there in um, a community called Dorchester, Boston, doing vision plans for community a community in Boston called Dorchester. And that was a really interesting and unique and honoring experience got homesick and moved back to California and worked for a giant multinational engineering and planning firm, but was still able to do some of those smaller place-based plans that really focus on that connection between people and space. Um, I now do facilitation, um, so talking with community members about what they want their public spaces to look like and how cities and towns can respond to that well. So you're largely, you're kind of helping to bridge sort of that conversation between like a city or a developer and the community in which something's being built or developed? 
Yes, and I work just with cities, not really developers. Um, I, a lot of my work takes place a long time before a developer comes in. So before you see buildings go up, there's a lot of planning that went into place. And so my job and the, the work that I love to do is to talk with people about what they value about the place they live, what gives them life there, and mm. then what they want to see happen in the future. And we always start with what's good about the space or what the assets are. Um, and those conversations about space are never just physical. A lot of them are um, that I know my neighbors, that I feel safe, um, starting with those, those beautiful things that we love about community. So when people are describing what many people would think, oh, I'm going to describe the physicality of a space, they usually end up describing sort of those um, non-tangible, non-physical things like I love that I know my neighbors or those kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. And if I asked you what you liked about your space, you might say, oh, I love that my neighbors are next door. I can take my dog for a walk. There's these really cool palm trees outside and um, it's close to the beach and I can feel the breeze. And as an urban planner, I might say, great. She wants to have sidewalks that she can walk on. She wants to have a bike lane where she could ride her bike if she wanted to. And we've been on bike rides together, so I'm assuming you'd want you a live bike in lane. My, we live in each other's <laughs> neighborhood, by the way. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And um, you'd want to be able to have buildings that are designed for you to actually see who your neighbors are and get to know them and meet them, which probably means you feel safe where you live because you know the people who live around you. So though that physical space and those physical attributes aren't something that we often think about unless there's a big problem then we're talking about those but otherwise we're talking about the way that places make us feel and what we love about them yeah I think that's the kind of the cool thing about your job or the thing I've super appreciated with like even working with you as we were redoing the church is that you have people describe feelings and then you put them into like a physical um help people sort of label when they say that feeling, what do they actually mean? And it's, it's oftentimes surprising to people. Like, I don't know that I would think, oh my gosh, what I'm actually meaning is a sidewalk. Um, you know, they're the things that we don't think about unless we're a city planner or someone who thinks about space in maybe like a different way than a lot of other people do. So you kind of bridge that, that gap between feeling and space that people don't know how to give a name for it. One of my favorite activities that you do is you have everybody um, one time with a a group of people when we were trying to figure out actually like kind of reverse, we wanted to think about like, what do we want our space to feel like you had, you brought in like a bag of just random things and you had people of varying ages. We're talking like (laughs) all the way to 80, you know, down to like 21 um, sit and make, like what what does a ideal space look like for you and like make it like make a town or make a church what would that look like and you had people use pieces and things that their brains couldn't automatically assume that's the thing and i loved that can you talk a little bit about like what what you're trying to do in that yeah i actually took that from a guy named James Rojas and he calls it place it he talks about um the way in which we perceive the space is really imaginative. So what we actually did first in that activity is we designed our, um, or we might have done it a a few weeks previous to that, but the first thing we did was, was design our childhood street or our favorite childhood memory. Yeah, and that's that right. 
puts people into the space. And so you can use materials or um, different junk from around the house, batteries or pipe cleaners. And it takes that professional element out of it and it makes people remember some of those creative things. And so connecting to that childhood memory or that thing that makes you feel good and is actually a defining piece of what your characters turned out to and what your life is like. Um, and then we talk about, hey, design your space using those same materials with that memory of what felt good to you as a child and what your favorite childhood memory is in that. And so the idea is to connect to that imaginative place. And sometimes as we get older, we become like experts in sometimes the wrong way. And so right. we think we know something. And so I can't tell you how many times people have said to me that they want um, speed bumps in their neighborhood. And, you know, just like, because that's something we know and we've seen. It's like, oh my gosh, people are speeding through here. We need speed bumps. But the real thing is the speed bumps are terrible. They're, they're bad for um, fire. Yes. They're bad for cars. And they're actually bad for speeding. And I don't mm. know if you've done this, but I'll pull up to a speed bump and I'll go really slow right before, and then I'll speed up afterward to make up for the time that I've lost. And so oh. there's a lot of other things that can be done to reduce speed and make a neighborhood safer. But as we get older, we've seen a solution to something. And so we identify that solution with a problem that you're facing. But oftentimes that solution isn't what is going to help solve that problem. There's other things. And so if we can identify the problem or if we, if we can identify what's lying underneath then mm. we can actually put the right solution to it. I think that's just beautiful and such a like, huge metaphor for kind of all the idea of making space. It's not about the thing. It's about the thing behind the thing and the feeling often behind the thing. And like, what are you actually asking for? Well, you're asking for safety when you want a speed bump, right? You're wanting um, to feel like people respect your area and space. And how can we do that in different ways? And also like what I love about it is you got people to share about their childhoods. And in that moment, there was vulnerability in the group um, because people didn't necessarily, for us, we were like a, a new church start, but we had people who had been there for a really long time and we were still building trust. And there was this um, idea, like we were all on a level playing field because you brought us back to our childhood. Mm -hmm. And there was, and people were learning things about each other that had known each other since like the 1940s. Um, they didn't know that what, you know, so-and-so grew up on that street or whatever it might've been. So I love it because it kind of gets rid of, like you say, that expert feeling or like, what do we assume or um, some of the assumptions even we have about space. So it's really cool. I love it. Yeah. And it actually takes away that generational feeling sometimes, too. Um, if we if I ask a 20 year old to design their favorite childhood memory mm -hmm. and I ask someone who's 70 to design their favorite childhood memory it's probably in nature, it's probably outside, it's probably with family, and it's probably an activity. And it could be inside, like it could be like, I loved baking cookies with my grandma. And mm. so here's this, but it's not generally, well, I was on my phone. Or yeah. <laughs> like, there's the, that technological divide comes out and people start seeing each other as people too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I think that so often we define things by technology as, you know, um, now we're learning who knows how to use Zoom and who doesn't. And now we're learning all these things that really have split our community in some ways. Um, 
But there is, once you take those things out, there is sort of a level playing field. Again, when you're talking more about feeling or um, kind of that's why I asked the question in the start of every podcast is I like to, you get to know a lot about people just in having them describe what space do you like to be in? Mm -hmm. Um, You learn, like some people are adventurous. You know, I had a girl recently who, um, she's amazing. She designs desks and she described like how her favorite space is anywhere she's never been before. Right. Mm. What does that tell you about her? She's an entrepreneur, right? She's going to like go out into the world. And then some people, you know, have described their bedrooms or like I, I know you. So I know you love to travel and I know you do it all the time. So I think there is that sense of like you're learning about people as they describe the space. And again, it's taking something tangible and kind of attaching it to something not tangible and learning, you know, that in some ways we're all telling our, our story of who we are, but there, there are also commonalities. So when you go into a community now, what do you, you, what do you start with? You start with saying, Hey, like, what are you hoping for in this? Or you start with the words or. So I start with what do you love about your community? Right. So yeah, starting with the positive. I start with there and it's a positive too, because it, we get to values first. And so oftentimes, um, if you're thinking about like, oh, we need to remake this space or this, this, like what's happening here, there's a lot of challenges to it. Like I, it's really hard to, and it's, you could think about it even as a building or your room, like, oh, I really don't like this specific thing in my room or, um, oh, I really don't like this strip mall here <laughs> on this corner. It's terrible. We need to tear it down. Um, but if you start with values first, and if you start with what you love about a place or love about a community, you can identify what's good and what's working well. And um, this is from a theory called asset-based community development. And mm. it's this idea that if you start with what is good in a community, you're honoring the space and you're honoring the people in the community. And you're not coming in being like, this is a trash town. <laughs> we need <Yeah>. to redo it. <laughs> so this is start- the worst. I mean, yeah. but that's kind of like when, even when we're talking about community, if you start with like a community of people, if you start with like, here's all the toxic things, our brain is so easily, you know, it takes way longer for our brains to pattern into positive and it's way easier for us to like sit in the negative. So if you're starting with the positive, it does kind of make people open a little bit more make people feel like oh she doesn't she hasn't come to fix me um like there's really cool things about this space already and I think particularly for people like you and I we're both kind of doers and problem solvers so it would be very easy for us to start with okay what's the list what's the punch list of things and not honor where a space has been or what's been great about something and when you honor that space you get people to own the the process of, of changing it and growing it. And oftentimes um, when you are making space um, or you're making a place or you're remaking a place, um, we use the term like revitalizing, people get scared of change and it makes a lot of sense. But I always say things are changing all the time anyway. um, But do you want to be a part of the change and help shape the outcome or do you want change to just happen? And so if you start with that space of talking about what people value, by the time people start identifying what's wrong with it or the challenges that are in the community, and you ask them, well, what's your vision for the future? You start building upon what's already good to 
address those challenges. And so the change that. that's necessary in the community and the change that's already taking place, um, if you involve people in that decision and involve them from what's good about it, you can affect the change based on what people already love about it and what they value. I think about the kids, you know, um, both of my neighbors are teachers and um, they talk about this sometimes that you sandwich um, critique between like two things you love about the person. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it sounds funny, but it also helps your brain say that this is not a bad person. This was a bad moment. Mm. And this is not a bad area. This is something we want to have an opportunity to change. And it's, um, it's not ignoring the opportunities, but it's also like kind of repattering ourselves to see the good and even like the small change in a person. But it like, it's so interesting to me how I feel like patterns that we see in individuals, we see in spaces, we see in creating spaces for people, um, just sort of this like really interesting pattern that starts with, okay, if we can start with what's good, if we can look at, and you know, even the theology of the church that I work at is we start with like, you're, you're already loved by God. So if yeah. that's like the starting point, okay, then I can kind of breathe and maybe I'll experience this thing a little bit different because I'm not coming in as defensive. And so after you've had them talk about the things that they love about their community, kind of what's the next like movement? You don't have to give away any of your trade secrets. Everyone should hire Jenna, by the way. She's great <laughs> at this. Someone told me once that um, you can have an idea, but you're the only one who can implement the idea like you. So I hope everyone takes my trade secrets and implements them in their in their favorite way. Um, oh, Jenna, that's amazing. The way that's good for them. So we start with values and then identify some challenges and opportunities. Um, and then from there, a lot of times we go um, and ask people to write a vision for their community. And sometimes that's really hard to do and it's jargony and like, I just can't tell you how many times I've been a part of a vision statement writing where yeah. it's just this long piece. But what I have people do is just identify themes or words or pictures, or I have them draw like a postcard from 2040 or 2050 from their community to just say what their community is like. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. And then we take that and we help write that vision statement. So we start with the vision statement and that everything that's developed after that um, comes from that vision statement. So again, I mentioned earlier how I, I have a different career in planning than a lot of people do. There's a lot of types of urban planners, but I do that long range planning and thinking about what the community looks like in the long term, starting from the place, but thinking 20, 30 years in the future. That's got to be, um, <laughs> that's got to be some sense of like, I've got to have some patience because things don't change overnight. I know, um, for myself, I, I want things to change overnight, right? Like when I'm working on a project or I'm restoring something, I work silly hours because I so want to see that reveal. Mm. And so I am um, the increments that you must have to sort of be like, all right, the first increment was this, here we go. Do you find, um, there that in yourself when you start to see a vision of something are you like is it difficult to wait for it to manifest it used to be um and there's a phrase it's actually like a theory of planning called incremental planning that you do small bits at a time mm. um and i used to get frustrated with it and then over time i now get really worried of when i see something happening too soon 
or really quickly. Um, and instead of celebrating that something or a space changed or a place was made in a really quick time, I think something was lost in the process and people weren't engaged in their community uh, because it takes time. And if you're actually engaging people in the work that's done in your city or in your community, and if you're taking time to do the deep work of understanding what that place is and how to remake it, it's going to take time. So sometimes I get... Um, a little nervous when things happen too quickly because I think that means that it wasn't done well. We're going to take a brief break from this conversation to listen to some messages from our sponsors that make this podcast possible. Hey friends, are you registered to vote? Headcount is a nonpartisan organization that works with the music and entertainment industry to get fans to vote. To update or check your voter registration status, Go to headcount.org where you'll find all the information you need to be ready for election day. I mean, you got to check if you're voted registered to vote at your current address because, I mean, more than 60% of eligible voters have never been asked to register. Um, and headcount.org is working to change that. I checked mine recently and guess what? It was not correct, so I needed to change it and now it is correct. But sometimes these mistakes happen where you need to really check it out because it could mess up your voting. And Lord knows this election is very important. Um, Headcount is a nonpartisan nonprofit that tours with musicians to help concert attendees register to vote. Sick. But you don't need to leave your house to register or get voting info. Just head to headcount.org. Headcount. Head to headcount. Head to headcount. Registered vote at headcount.org. I think you can see that sometimes um, when communities uh, flip something too quickly and you think, whose idea was that? Like, which committee meeting decided to, like, I always use the example of, we're going to serve this community. We're not going to find out what this community needs. So I call it serving at the community mm -hmm. versus serving with or for a community. I love that. Like, I'm here I am to serve at you, um, which is not always helpful. Well, and there's also the people who come in and say like, oh, I know exactly what's going on here. And then they design something, put it into place. And then the people it was designed for never use it because it wasn't designed for them. It was designed from that one vision. And I can see that happening in like a church space too, or even um, in, a, in, a, in other locations where, um, where people are supposed to just appreciate what's given to them when yeah. they were never a part of it in the beginning. Yeah, I would love to just um, pick your brain for like 10 seconds. Well, not really, a little bit longer. But okay. uh, you did work as well as an executive director of a nonprofit that worked largely with um, folks who uh, were in a population where there was a large immigrant population, but also like, um, yeah, it was just an area of town that was had very vibrant, very cool, but definitely had some uh, socioeconomic difficulty. And mm -hmm. I... One of the things I really valued is that you guys wouldn't do things um, at people. Can you talk a little bit about how your urban planning kind of meshed with um, being that stand-in executive director for a little while? Yeah, I actually, um, 
I think a lot of my work has come from that organization and the people who mentored me there and the neighbors who mentored me there and reminded me um, that they are the experts and the owners of their community. And so um, it's not always typical for a space. And when I say space, like a, a community or a place or something in the public realm to be designed and and considered by the people who live there Mm. and especially sometimes we use the term vulnerable populations Um, engaging the voices of those vulnerable populations and actually having them either create the decision-making process or be a part of the decision-making process is really important because if we don't do that then the most vulnerable in our society um aren't actually a part of the solution and then it's not made for them and we keep pushing people to I'll use the term the margins we keep pushing people to the margins and really they are at the center of their communities and they're at the center of these vibrant places Um, but when those on the outside come in to change something or see a problem or see an opportunity for economic gain, it's really difficult, or not even economic gain, for personal um, feelings of satisfaction and like they did something good um, right. that uses people and it uses their place so that we can feel like we've made a difference or done something good. And I Oof. think that the base level, that's something that we all have to deal with um, and we all have to confront in ourselves, like, am I doing this for me um, or am I doing this to allow space for the voices of people who actually own this place to speak <laughs> and so um not to not to sermonize too much but it's a girl you do it that yeah. i care about <laughs> but i think that 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 place and that opportunity to walk alongside those neighbors has really shaped the way i do my work and i am um not the best at it like i have so much to learn all the time and I'm constantly reminded of how I put myself in the place of the expert a lot or um, how I need to to make sure that I am allowing people who are the real owners of this space or owners of the place or experts in their community to, community to be the voice and not for me to be the voice for them. I, that's a, a great question. Uh, kind of jumping off point of when you think about like I think about the Twitter spaces or some of these spaces that are online and there is the sense of um, people have a really hard time and and rightfully so I think when people who are from a we'll say more dominant uh, socioeconomic or racial whatever it might be um, speak up oftentimes trying to be a good ally but there is the sense of like you have to have um you have to have the people involved who you're trying to ally for, ally with. Um, otherwise, it, it can be, I just want to feel really good about it. Or I just want to collect many rainbow-colored people, um, whatever that might be. You know, whatever your, um, the thing that you want to include. And I think there's, people can sniff that pretty quick, I feel like. Oh, they can. I look back at some things in my life and think like, oh, man, I have spent so many years saying I want to be a voice for the voiceless. 
that just like so takes away from anyone else's <laughs> voice. Be like, you don't have a voice, so I'm going to be your voice for you. I've got and you. And I just am so grateful for the people in my life who have been graceful towards me <laughs> and allowed me to grow um, and change. And um, and I see those places where it's like, oh man, I learned from that. But hopefully, um, we're able to move. We're able to move forward and move past that and understand what it means to be. Um, I have to understand all the time. What does it mean to be a white girl going into neighborhoods um, and create space for people to or uncover space or allow other people to back away from space that shouldn't be theirs and and provide that opportunity for, for the people who should be speaking to be the ones in the decision-making role. It's yeah, a there's... really hard line and it's really difficult to navigate and people are really graceful with me. Yeah. And I think that's a, it's a great stance to take of like, Ooh, I've, I think we've all guys, we have all messed that up. Like I'm here. I am to save the day. And it's like, wait, no, like you're here to <laughs> amplify the voices that are already there. And I remember I took two separate mission trips and you have to understand like I studied like marginal populations when helping hurts like I thought I like I know how to do I know how to go on mission trips well I took two um to uh, northern Uganda and I went with one organization which was a large mega church and they were doing honestly they were doing the they were they thought they were doing the best and it was very hard for me because there were moments when I was like this is colonization <laughs> like at one moment we watched the Jesus film with white people and I was like mm 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 like I was so uncomfortable so that was a really hard experience for me because I knew the hearts of the people who were there and they were trying to be very efficient with medical clinics and all this sort of stuff and it was like one of these things where I was like ooh this I don't I I can't and I adore those people to this day that um set those trips out, but I, I found a lot of problematic, um, you know, non-bridge building, non-amplification, and they've since changed their methods. Um, I think there has been a lot of great voices um, who have spoken into that community and said, this is not how we care for other people. I understand that that came from a great place and a great heart, but like, we can be better. So then, fast forward, I go with an organization that um, very much would not do anything unless it was community initiated. Mm -hmm. And then they came to prop up the community. And it was so hard because it was a lesson in learning how to sit and wait Mm. and learning how to actually be in the culture. And um, I felt much more comfortable, but I felt uncomfortable because my desire to um, fix and, and I like, what am I doing here? And I realized then that like, I I could not engage in poverty tourism, which is what a lot of these trips are, which in some ways there there's, you know, the idea of like, well, you're bringing back the stories and maybe now you'll have a different opinion of, and I think there is some, some um, validity to that. But I think the, the gift of the second trip for me was that I realized like, okay, I'm not bringing anything here that they don't already have. And so how can I instead resource from, the position that like there are tables that I'm at that these folks can't be at. So how can I be a voice um, that is then amplifying, Hey, go check out these people who are doing the work. And um, it was so funny because I learned so much from this woman, Faith, who is in 
Uganda, who's Ugandan, and she would just say, you've got to stop rushing around. Mm. Because she said, you're very busy, but what are you doing? And I realized, like, so I would, like, have to mentally stop myself and just sit with her for a while. And those are the moments I remember. I don't remember what I did while I was there, but I remember sitting with Faith and talking to her about the leadership classes she was teaching um, and the young women she was mentoring. And, and I realized, really, the trip in some ways, yes, I, oh, I know, I built a playground, but because um, I can actually build things. But I, you know, I did it in community with the people who were going to use the playground. And it was just such a different experience. And I felt more like a guest and less like um, someone who's come to save the day. Uh, and I think that's really formed, even when I look at community and the work that the organization used to work for, I really see this sort of, I don't know, this at least attempt, and I don't think we ever always get it right, but to do community development in a way that isn't at, but with, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I love that you just said a guest, um, and a guest means that you're invited there. Yes. And, I, you know, a, a lot of times when I was working in um, in this community, we had so many people come to help and support, um, but they were technically guests but hadn't been invited in yet to do the work. And so mm. a lot of our work there was to equip leaders to be able to be in spaces and be able to be um, in their community um, and invite people in and say, sure, you can come learn from us in this. And then also, if there is a support that you'd like to provide to members of the community, you can come in, but come to us first, and then we'll let you know whether or not this is something that's valuable to us. And yeah. that, that's, that piece, I hadn't thought of it in the terms until you said guest, um, that, that piece of being invited. Oh, yeah, I think it's, and it's hard too because if you look at a church community, sometimes you have to go in before there is an invitation. Mm-hmm. Um, but there still are ways that you can behave, like in the beginning, as as someone who is entering into a space that you have been invited into, versus mm-hmm. a space that you're now going to take over. And I've seen it time and time again where. Um, a young clergy member has gone into a space where I know what needs to be done here. And sometimes they're right, but they lose the um, marriage of, I want to participate with you because they're not willing to hear the like, what's great about this place? What do you guys already love about it? Um, yeah, because, and I, I think, yeah. I, I think too, I, you know, I talked earlier about like people are the experts of their space and that is true but there can also be there's also that space it made me think of it when a clergy you mentioned a young clergyman or clergy person coming in and saying like oh I know what needs to happen here and that they might actually know that but um, when people say they want speed bumps in their neighborhood I say oh you're actually and we talk about it they're actually wanting safety in their neighborhood but I actually am an expert in saying like well these are the ways to achieve safety in your neighborhood or work towards safety in your neighborhood. And so I don't at all mean to discount that we have that expertise and we have that, that knowledge base that we've worked for. Um, but when it's separated from the communities that we're working alongside, that's when the problems come in. Yeah. I, I think about, uh, the church that I currently am at, there's this space that was a really bizarre room that was like a prayer chapel for great families. In fact, one of the 
closest people in our community to me, older fella, um, not very old, if Dave is listening, um, <laughs> but his uh, brother passed away, and so it was in, done in honor of his brother, And but they hadn't taken care of the space. It had leaked, and it was really falling apart. And when the previous folks had made plans for what they were going to do, they wanted to do a warming kitchen. And I didn't know what a warming kitchen was, but I uh, met with them, and I talked through, and I did exactly... You know, before pre-Jenna teaching me, um, I did the like, wh- what is it about a warming kitchen? And what they wanted was a community. Mm. They wanted a place that felt like we're going to serve people. And so when we decided instead to turn it into a children's, like a cry room, I said, do you want kids here? Because there's nowhere else for kids, like for a baby to cry. or. Mm. And then it was sort of, you're getting to the same feeling but you, you kind of got to know why people, why do you want a speed bump? Why do you want a warming kitchen? Like we have nowhere to eat. So if we have a warming yeah. kitchen, like we're, what are we warming? Um, I understood like a coffee bar, which we can do in a different space. And so kind of helping people give language to what they're hoping for, what their dreams are. It's like a, it's such a important piece of, I don't know, in a, I'm so surprised even like talking to you, Jenna, and talking to you, um, folks who are designers, how much we kind of pastor people into a vision of newness Mm. in a different way. Like you don't, you're, you know, pastors supposedly part of our thing is to like help people see the not yet um, in their own lives and such. And I think that's what you do is you're helping a community see the not yet, which is kind of cool. That is really cool. And I've thought a lot about that in terms of the theology of the now and the not yet, but I hadn't placed it with the idea of community. But yeah, when we're asking people every time we create a plan or when we're thinking long-term to vision for what they want to see, it takes a lot of creativity and imagination. And it, it is that, what is the newness that's going to be here? What is the thing that's going to make this a new space different from what it was and what's mm. the not yet? I love it. I love that. Okay. So as we're nearing the end of our time, I want to hear, and I know that there are so, you have so much knowledge and you're so helpful in this, but my friend Jenna, what is one thing, and you've mentioned several things, but what is like one tangible thing someone can do when they're trying to make space for someone, for other people? So I would say the one thing you could do to make space for other people is to start with the people that you're in close proximity to. So get to know your next door neighbor and the people on your street. I love that. And so it's less of like what's the placemaking and it's more of who are the people in your place and who are your neighbors. And once you get to know them and understand them, you get to actually know yourself better and get to know your community better. And you can start doing those small things that make a place so beautiful and a place that you want to live in for a long time because you know the people who are with you. So I'd say this it's a small step, but it's really scary sometimes, but get to know your neighbors. It makes all the difference in the world. It really does. I mean, I now live in a place where I know my neighbors and as we're sheltering in place, I know people and that's different than when I lived in another community where that wasn't the custom to know people. Mm-hmm. And I think my mental well-being 
and my ability to feel like I can care give for others has been absolutely affected by the fact that I know people here and I feel safer for, for that. And I think that is such a great tip. Thank you, Jenna, so, so much for coming on here and for giving a little bit of your, I know you don't like the idea of expertise, but you do have a lot of expertise and, and we continue to learn, right? We continue to learn. So thank you. And I am sure we'll have you on again. Um, thank you. Thank you. It's great to be talking with you today. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you will take to heart Jenna's simple challenge to get to know your own neighbor. It may seem small, but I really believe proximity and relationship are the only way we can crumble the systems that seem to want to divide us. This week's quote comes from the incredible writer and poet Maya Angelou. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Friends, may you have a great week. Making Spaces is edited by Stephen Burnett from The Cult Popcast. The introduction music is It Can Be Done by Ari via Epidemic Sound. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And leave us a review. It helps other listeners find us and let us know that we're on the right track.